Hello. Tonight's gonna be a filthy one. I hope you're strong. <laughs> it's not gonna be that bad. Welcome to the show. Hope you're strapped in. I don't know if we're gonna make it out of the uh, out of the atmosphere and atmosphere, but I think we'll make it to Antarctica. You know, there's some interesting things that have developed in the lead up to tonight's show. On this 15th of June, 2023, we've got a great guest, good friend of the show coming by to discuss an interesting topic. And then uh, in the second half, with what little time we have left, we'll get to your super chats. I'll also be doing our badass of the day, who's uh, pretty interesting. And then we are off around 8.27 p.m. because then we have to do the third out of fourth installation of Book Club. The Spring 2023 Book Club for Shoeless Joe. Good day. It's a good day. I hope it's a good day wherever you are. A lot of moving and shaking by me. It's hard to maintain the schedule, but it's a a thrill to get through to every night. Every night to breathe that sigh of relief and feel, all right, we did something good today. Lots of things we'll talk about. Lots of things you'll see coming. But... um, for tonight, we're going to have Brooks Agnew joining us at the bottom of the hour, and uh, and we'll be talking a little bit about Antarctica and um, bringing up a couple of recent headlines that have been getting passed around and how they bring up old headlines, old stories, things that we've talked about many times before, references to Operation High Jump, references to things that we've been hearing from whistleblowers like Philip Schneider in the years leading up to at least his death, his strange and mysterious death. And I think Brooks knows a little bit about all that stuff, but um, we'll get into the details in just a little bit. Welcome to the show. Please go and visit our sponsors, bluemonsterprep.com. It's important you do so because you may need a little bit of something that they have. I think everybody should have those things around just in case. It's called preparedness for a reason because you can't foresee something coming but you want to be ready for it. So whether it be food, water supplies, filtration, communication, first aid, power, power generation from the sun, renewable resources, go and check out bluemonsterprep.com. Use promo code FRANKLY when you're ready to make a purchase. But before then, you should get in touch with Pat and Gina and just have a talk. They'll have a coffee with you. That's the way they are. They'll brew coffee. They'll sit down with you, talk about your life and, um, and where you may want to start um, improving on your preparedness so thank you to pat and gina and everybody go and check out the rest of the awesome people that we have listed on the affiliates page on quite frankly.tv also you can go right on the front page of quite frankly.tv where you probably many of you are watching the show now and many more will in the coming months and i'll tell you why in about a day or so but there's also our upcoming guest schedule that is published right below the video and the the chat in bed so so enjoy tomorrow matt will be in we have a tomorrow night i actually don't know how we're going to get through everything that i have lined up it's a huge mailbag night i've received so much awesome correspondence from you guys and gals really awesome stories breathtaking stories about all the different topics that we discussed over the course of this week and then there's just other 
random articles and stuff I wanted to do that I know are going to tick Matt off, so that'll be fun. And then we kick off next week with Mickey Willis. So, like I said, strap in and stay strapped. All right, one more thing I have to tell everybody in the viewing audience, because I know people watch across several platforms. But one of the more, one of the more, I mean, I would say the older, oldest one. It's not, it doesn't have the biggest crowds there, but they're a very proud crowd. And that is the Twitch. I've been getting a lot of notifications, music notifications from Twitch lately, just on the intermission song alone. So I got to just let you know, I have two options with Twitch, and that is ride it out until the channel is terminated and have everything that we built up over there go to waste or keep the Twitch for special programming like game nights and stuff like that, which we're going to do a lot more of now that Matt has himself a new PlayStation and he's playing world, you know, like late night engagements with World War II games and Friday the 13th, especially in the fall and the winter. I don't want to lose the Twitch, but it's on this on this path. It's going to be gone. Uh, so I'm just letting you guys know there may be some hard decisions or the rug will just get pulled out from all, all under you all, and you may have to migrate anywhere, anywhere, any uh, somewhere else anyway. So um, letting you know that the the gears are turning on that end. All right, let's go to the let's go to the grab bag, and uh, the first one up. I forgot to put the thing on the screen, but boom, we're all set. We were just listening to Massive Attack, Angel, from the famous Mezzanine album. If you didn't know, you can go listen to the whole album and just chill out later on as you're staring into a fire somewhere. But uh, let's go into the first thing. There, Here is a clip from Letitia James, another waste of space over here in New York, uh, who is commenting woefully about how her uh, investigation, her trial, uh, Alvin Bragg's trial, and the Georgia case will have to be adjourned pending the outcome of the federal case against Donald Trump, which just goes, sh- just goes to show how pointedly political the whole thing is. And that's it. Because if these were really urgent matters, there would be nothing stopping them. Um, but that's just a... Uh, the special counsel has asked for a speedy trial for this. Is, is this going to intersect with your case at all? How is everybody going to manage the calendar here? So in all likelihood, I believe that my case, as well as DA Bragg um, and um, the Georgia case, um, will unfortunately have to be adjourned pending the outcome of the federal case. Um, So it all depends upon uh, the scheduling of this particular case. I know there's going to be a flood, a flurry of motions, motions to dismiss, discovery issues, all of that. So it really all depends. Obviously, all of us um, want to know what this judge, Judge Cannon, is going to do and whether or not she's going to delay um, this particular case. Are, are I, you concerned about that? Um, I think everyone is concerned about Very that. concerned. I mean, we've been trying to get this guy for a while. And, you know, whoever gets the scalp wins the prize. Just freakish people, really freakish people. Um, uh, it, speaking of freakish people, I want to congratulate Texas, congr- congratulate uh, Texas uh, for for ingratiating uh, some <laughs> some more clown show nonsense. Here, this is from Greg Abbott the other day. No Texan should be discriminated against based on their natural hair. He's proud to sign the Crown Act into law. Talk about how uh, how self-worship just in there the crown act into law today to prohibit discrimination based on textures and hairstyles historically associated with race 
I thank Representative Bowers and Senator Miles for getting this to my desk. Listen to this. It's so courageous. The Brown Act stands for create a respectful and open world for natural hair. Create an open and respectful world for natural hair. Of course, that you know there would be an H at the end of that, but they just wanted to get to crown because they are kings and queens. Some Texans, especially people of color, have faced discrimination based upon hairstyle or hair texture. This law ends that discrimination. So now you'll be able to go to work with uh, dreadlocks down to your ankles. You know, it's just hairstyle and texture. There's a difference between styling your hair and then just, you know, I don't know. Become. I would love to see the cases that made this such an urgent matter. I would love to see it. But there you go, Texas, you did it. Congratulations. There, there was no, there was no uh, matter more pressing than that. But at least that got out of the way swiftly. Here's another thing I wanted to bring up with you all. Um, here it is. It's a headline that is, is kind of, I don't know. It's not going to really surprise you, especially after all the Brave New World talk that we did in the last couple of years, but especially the last couple of months. Headline from the Daily Mail, synthetic human embryos. So is it human? What's a synthetic human? What would you say a synthetic human is? A human at all? Synthetic human embryos are created in a lab with no egg or sperm. Scientists announce historic breakthrough, raising hopes for new treatments for miscarriage and rare genetic disorders, but, develops po- but development poses huge ethical dilemmas. And that is always the setup, isn't it? That's always the setup. This is where we're going to do some great things with this technology, uh, creating synthetic human embryos, but it poses some ethical dilemmas. The embryos were made without eggs or sperm, but not covered by UK law. Human embryos made without eggs or sperm have been created in a scientific breakthrough, which is bound to raise serious ethical and legal questions. Uh, there were, they were produced in a joint project between Cambridge University and the California Institute of Technology and resemble embryos in the earliest stages of human development. They do not have the beginnings of a brain or a beating heart, but do include cells which would go on to form the placenta and yolk sac. Scientists believe that their findings could provide scientific or significant scientific insight and aid research into rare genetic disorders and biological causes for miscarriage. But the synthetic embryos are not covered by laws in the UK or in most countries around the world, meaning that they come with serious ethical and legal issues regarding the use of human embryos in a lab. So, what does it mean? It means that they need to very tepidly make this legal somehow. Just crack the door open a little bit more. The embryos do not have the beginnings. We said that the brain or the heart. Until this breakthrough, scientists had to adhere to the 14-day rule, which meant that they were limited to allowing embryos to develop in a lab for a maximum of two weeks. After this point, researchers would have to wait until further along its development to pick up their study, relying on pregnancy scans and embryo donated to the research. The desire to understand the period of embryos development, which starts day 14 and ends around 28, was the main motivation behind the work to create synthetic human embryos. So, um, so yeah, now, um, as far as the ethical 
issues surrounding they, they said if the whole intention is that these models are very much like normal embryos then in a way they should be treated as the same but uh currently in legislation they're not people are worried about this well if, if it's synthetic what the hell are we going for and I wonder if this is related, this next article is related to the last in any way, because we know synthetic cybernetic life would require, in some ways, a, uh, a, a new social, moral, and maybe even religious identity. The WEF calls for AI to rewrite the Bible and create religions that are actually correct. That are actually correct. Where, you know, the creators of life are uh, in some kind of a hatchery somewhere and um, and dictated to policies made by rotting oyster men like Klaus Schwab and that really weird, bony, quizzling Noval Harari or Yuval Harari freak. What a freak. Looks like a, looks like a, uh, a bird that fell out of the nest. Um, top official with World Economic Forum has called for religious scripture to be rewritten by artificial intelligence to create a globalized new Bible, which is what they're trying to do with all the world religions right now. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari, the senior advisor to the World Economic Forum and a professional bird out of its nest. And its chairman, Klaus Schwab, argues that using AI to replace scriptures will create unified, quote, religions that are actually correct. What the hell does that mean? Harari, an influential author and professor, made the call while giving a talk to the future of humanity. According to Harari, the power of AI can be harnessed and used to reshape spirituality into the WEF's globalist vision of equity and inclusivity. Inclusivity. Inclusivism. It's inclusivity, but inclusivism is another good tongue twister for you. Speaking with journalist Pedro Pinto in Lisbon, Portugal, Harari told the uh, elitist audience, it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast, they spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. The only ideas that are, are, are worthy of considering, they are of us. They are the ideas that when when tested against other people's ideas, can be shaped into something a little bit more logical, a little bit more sustaining, a little bit more revelatory. I mean, this is the whole point here. But of course, of course, that what they want to do is make the human factor in in civilization a lot less of a of a pronounced impact. They want that that impact to be lessened big time, and the artificial intelligence that they of course control and always sides with them. That should be the new standard. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg print, uh, printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. What? what? Is that what Gutenberg was supposed to be doing? Editing the Bible? Oh my gosh. So, and these are, of course, these are the people who say that there are uh, books are being banned or whatever. They're talking about allowing computers to edit scripture. But they get up in arms when somebody wants to take a gay blowjob tutorial out of a school library in Florida. So, uh, there's your... There they are. 
there's the freaks. The freaks that are allowed to just say all this and prance around the world at their elitist hotels and their their uh, their, their their quiet, sleepy mountain towns to go into hot springs and bathe together and do the mud baths and all that other stuff. They can say this stuff out in the open and everybody goes, huh, huh, well, you know, either, huh, huh, whatever. Sleepy. Sleepy time. Uh, speaking of babies and all that other stuff, what the fuck? I mean, I, I was talking about Al, Al Pacino a little bit about a, month, a week and a half ago that he was going to be a father again. But the baby's here now. Al Pacino, 83 years old, and Noor Alfala, 29, have welcomed a son as his adorable name is revealed. I don't know what the, the, the name is. He's 83. And a boy has been... Oh, his name is Roman Pacino. The pair confirmed the arrival of their baby as they enjoyed a dinner date in West Hollywood recently. Oscar winner Pacino, Pacino and Noor, who was revealed last month to be eight months pregnant with his fourth child. Did anybody see her pregnant? They look relaxed as they drove to Sunset Town. Of course they look relaxed. You th- what, what kind of a parenthood is this going to be? What is this going to be? She was eight, month preg- eight, eight months pregnant a couple of days ago? I don't know about... Well, who knows? I don't believe it. Noor, who is no stranger to age gap romance. Apparently, she was dating Mick Jagger not too long ago. She's just waiting for some old guy to die on her watch is the whole thing. She's here with um, with Al Pacino, and they just had this baby. And look, look at this picture right here. Look at this. Look at him in the passenger seat of this car. I mean... Listen, everyone. Everybody gets old. I would never judge an 83-year-old man for simply looking 83, and I hope nobody passes judgment on me. Then again, I pray that I make it to 83. But then again, my grandfather was 83 when he died, and I'm trying to imagine my grandfather fathering a child with someone at 83. And the real question is, who's going to raise the child with the mother? I mean, she's going to have Al's money, obviously. But there will have to be a father figure mixed in there somewhere. Maybe a revolving door. Look at that. That that man right there just fathered a child. The weird, the weird lives, strange lives, strange lives that are lived. I tell you. Life is a strange place. Um, let's get this one started, though, shall we? Because I want to set the stage for... Brooks and I have just enough time to do it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Help me share the show far and wide. Please hit the share button right now if you're watching live. If you're watching on YouTube and on Rumble, I beg of you. I beg of you. Hit the like button. Right now, there's enough people on both places where if you hit the like button, we're going to hit our monthly, our nightly goal of a thousand, of a thousand likes. It's a nanosecond and it's free and you don't have to even leave the couch for it. And it does such a wonderful thing to help us out with visibility because maybe somebody that stumbles upon the show will become a sponsor. Um, It all really helps. It all helps. And and thank you for doing the little bit that it takes. And uh, I can't wait to get on with the rest of the show. So we'll be right back. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. 
And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! kind of shows who's telling the truth who's blowing smoke up our asses I don't know but depending on what they're blowing we're all gonna get a contact high all right so it's 717 and here's what I wanted to do tonight on this little uh, this, this, this slightly shorter trip down memory lane and it is a trip down memory lane in a number of ways because we're going to older topics, and we have to harken back to a guest that we had on the show. I can't believe it was only two years ago. It feel I was talking to Rob too, because he was he co-hosted this episode with me, and I said, "Dude, this feels like five years ago." I can't believe it. What am I talking about? You'll see in a second. All right. So the first one up is this: the Daily Mail. Pentagon UFO whistleblower claims people have been killed by non-human intelligences and say U.S. government will do anything to protect the secret. David Grush served 14 years in the Air Force before going public with his claim. He says the government has been lying for decades about discovering UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Uh, Let's see here. David, uh, uh, 36 years old, he's a decorated Afghanistan combat officer who went to work for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office. Okay, the NRO. We talked about that quite a bit. His role was to act as the NRO's representative when dealing with the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. You see, there's the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena label again. In the last couple of weeks, you remember when we had all of the balloons in the sky? They went back to using UFO almost as a primary. They went away from UAP. Well, they came back to UAP, and then there was a mix of people starting to say more and more unidentified anomalous phenomena. I said, what happened to Ariel? What the, what, what the hell is going on here? It's like my YMCA story. Everybody's spending five and a half weeks to talk about what the hell they're going to use the new personal training jumpstart package because they don't want it to sound too aggressive. Over the last week, he has gone public with what he says uh, it entailed in uh, telling News Nation about how the U.S. is in an arms race with Russia and China to understand the extraterrestrial life. I don't know about that. An arms race? Really? In his most recent comments, he says that non-human intelligences have acted with malevolence and even killed some humans. Quote, I think the logical fallacy here is that because they're advanced, that they're kind, 
I never think that. We'll never really understand their full intent, and that's because we are not them. But I think what appears to be malevolent activity has happened. That's based on nuclear site probing activities and witness testimony. While I can't get into the specifics because that would, be, or would reveal certain U.S. classified operations, I was briefed by a few individuals on the program that were... Um, that there were malevolent events like he said, um, humans being killed. Grush also made the astonishing claim that the U.S. government would do anything to protect the secret, including killing people itself. At the very least, I saw substantive evidence that white-collar crime was committed, unfortunately. I've heard some really un-American things I don't want to repeat right now, he said. He claimed that some of the UFOs discovered have been as large as football fields. That would go hand-in-hand with what Rich Barris saw. And I, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I trust that Rich is telling the truth, whatever he saw, whoever, uh, whoever made it, but he saw this thing go warp. Remember that? Another military veteran who also told the Daily Mail that his six-man unit saw a hovering UFO being loaded with weapons while he was serving in Indonesia. Others say that they have encountered aircraft that can distort space and time. Grush filled his report in July of last year. He filed it. At the time, the intelligence community inspector general called the complaint urgent and credible. There's a sophisticated disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. populace, which is extremely unethical and immoral, he said, accusing the U.F. government, U.S. government, UFO government, of lying, lying to the public for decades. Again, though, if there is malevolent extraterrestrial, non-terrestrial intelligence that is um, on the earth, then there must be something to counterbalance it. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we would have to trade with these things for unless there was some other kind of a counterbalance. If there was a benign, benevolent counterbalance to it all. Because what the hell do we have? Nothing. Nothing. We stand to gain if there's somebody advocating for us, but uh, I don't know. Uh, but here's the thing. When you talk about UFOs or, or any kind of things out there that have killed Americans, killed humans, you think about people like Phil Schneider. Here's a little something that I, I, I dug up for you guys in case you didn't know. And if you haven't seen any of the Phil Schneider talks that we put on periodically over the weekend on QuiteFrankly.tv... Gray aliens killed 60 U.S. soldiers and civilians in underground battle in New Mexico. This is from Vicky Verma from a couple years ago. It says, American engineer Phil Schneider was born on April 23, 1947. He's known as a person who worked for many years in collaboration with special services of the United States, had access to information of the third level of secrecy, but at some point decided that people should know that they are kept in ignorance or are grossly deceived about everything happening to UFOs and aliens. So let's jump down a little bit. He was able to take part in the construction of at least two underground bases or so-called secret government dumbs. So this is the guy who, um, when you talk about Phil Schneider, this is where you really start hearing dumbs, those deep underground military bases that are popped up. And he says he was part of the construction of of a couple of them. 
for the so-called secret government, as well as the construction of 13 deep-seated military bases underground. Seeing how such projects are financed for whom they are built and uh, that basic rights of the people, as well as the U.S. Constitution, are violated in 1994, Phil broke off relations with the American Intelligence Services and returned all of his awards. After that, Phil began working as an ordinary geologist, combining work with revelatory performances. He talked about the underground bases, top secret alien technologies, and the threat, the threat to humanity that those who seek the established new world order and the direction of aliens hostile to people carry with them. Now, he talked about actually getting into a gunfight and being wounded in a, a fight with aliens underground. This is where it gets really wild. In 1995, at a regular lecture, Schneider said that over the past 22 years, 11 of his best friends had died. They knew something about the so-called government conspiracy theory. At the same time, 8 out of 11 episodes uh, were officially recognized as suicides. Phil said that he was one of these, the three people who survived the shootout that occurred in 1979 at an underground military base in Dulce between representatives of American intelligence services and aliens. As a result of the influence of an alien weapon, Schneider got a dose of radiation and subsequently fell ill with cancer. That's the story. On January 17, 1996, Phil Schneider was found dead in his home in Wilsonville, Oregon. He was lying on the floor next to the piano, and a tube from his own catheter was found around his neck. Now, um, I've heard people say that it was not the tather- catheter tube. It was actually a piano wire. But it can go it can go in a number of different, different different directions. So many other revelations in that one there too. But here's the thing I wanted to bring up. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask uh, Brooks Agnew about that as well because he knows a little bit about Phil Schneider. But when we get into this, we're going to watch this together. The Disclosure 2.0 public event that was going on on the 12th with Dr. Stephen Greer of serious disclosure who you know uh, a lot of people say that the the jury is out on him too i still kind of think he is uh he's an alien i think that he's the proof of the aliens i think it's true but um but this guy popped up this guy popped up and everybody said this is the big clip that you needed to see from the whole thing four minutes we're going to watch it with brooks but his name is eric hecker and i didn't i didn't know why he was so familiar why the hell was this name so familiar? And then I got a text message from one of our uh, friends out there in the audience, Javi, from Houston. He said, Frank, didn't you interview this guy? I said, son of a bitch. We did. Back in 2021, if you just, down, if you just go and, and, and search, quite frankly, Eric J. Hecker, you'll find a May 2021 episode it must have been on a Thursday night because Rob was here, and we spoke to him. Uh, we spoke to him about this. Now, he, he provides a little bit more detail in this video over here, but for the most part, everything is pretty much, much matches up to what we were told that night in 2021, which feels like it was so long ago. I've got some notes over here because I just uh, I skimmed through it real quick. First of all, he doesn't go into this too much because I guess it's not really relevant. But when he came on first, he told us that he was included. He was a child inductee into the Stargate project. He said by, he named the CIA, Central Intelligence. 
Uh, he thought it was just a regular old gate program, which we've been talking about a lot lately. The gate program, tag, whatever the hell you call it. But so he was one of those gifted individuals that he was telling Rob, that he was telling Rob and uh, myself over here. And he said he was, let's see here. They were actually being brought into the fold of the Monroe Institute RV Stargate training. It wasn't the regular gate project, tag, all that stuff. Even though gate program, not project, was weird enough in itself with all the testimony that we had coming in through the the show over the last couple of months. But uh, he said that it was under the guise of gate and tag and that they were actually being brought into the fold of something that was controlled or influenced by the Monroe Institute. He went on to say that he even had eye drops. People in, in his class, that they were in a, they were, he was in a Catholic school, they were in uniform, and the, the people in his class who were selected for this, they, every time that they went out to go and do this, these activities in the library or wherever the hell it was, they were given eye drops first. And, uh, and, and his parents did not know it was happening. They didn't tell the parents. He didn't tell the parents until years later. He was having a recollection like many of you in the audience were having recollections. So that actually checks out a little bit more. But he seemed to speculate that there was low doses of acid or LSD in those drops that he kind of saw, had kind of like jaundiced view of things. Everything was very yellow uh, after the drops were given and whatever the hell he was doing, a lot of signs, a lot of pattern recognition, things like that. Um... And then uh, and I asked him, you know, were you ever, did you leave that project behind? Did, was there a day, a time that that ever just stopped? And he said, I don't think it ever did stop, which is also something that we've heard from many people in the audience now who feel like they have in some way been handled throughout their lives, that they were given opportunities that they don't feel like they really had a shot at getting. Some people thought that even law enforcement were being extra lenient with them all throughout their lives, that they would get into some juvenile, you know, shenanigans or anything like that. And he said it never really sure that it ended. And if the rest of his story checks out, uh, obviously there's big tie-ins to that. Because he had a brief engagement with the submarine services, always seemed to have someone sponsoring him or being or providing him with opportunities. Started doing some plumbing. This is the thing. He started doing plumbing for the wealthiest people on Long Island, people whom, uh, whose, um, people whose bathrooms, when he would go into there, they would often have magazine racks with things that, that, that pretty much intimate that they are members of the Trilateral Commission, CFR, things like that. And he applied, then he applies for this job in Antarctica. He says he applied for it online. Turns out that it was for Raytheon, that was the employer, and he was accepted into this, and, uh, and he was working with artificial steam boring machines, and he said he thinks he saw a UFO there once. That's what he said. He, said he thinks he saw a UFO there once. It was like a meteor that streaked across the sky in a straight line. It did not descend. It did not ascend. It was in one straight line, smoking, fiery trail behind it, and it just uh, took off down the horizon, never an impact, nothing like that. That's the one thing he said. But everything else that he talks about in that episode with us in 2021 pretty much uh, is expressed in what we're talking about right here with this ice cube neutrino detector that he was talking about the all the all the, re, the, the, the technology we had down there to receive signals and to receive information was actually 
hyper, you know, super powered beyond that and that we were actually sending things out and that it was some sort of a directed energy weapon outpost that can be worked from from the uh, the Antarctic. And I want to bring on I want to bring on Brooks Agnew to talk about this a little bit. And just dump into uh, in, into the, the 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 kooky and the crazy. I love doing this with Brooks, especially when Antarctica pops up. Brooks, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. I'm I'm always I'm happy always to find an excuse to bring people like you back. Like yes, this is for Brooks. Let's get him on. <laughs> Any excuse will do. Yeah, yeah. So um, first thing first thing I want to talk about before we get to this this video and watch it together is the FBI or the whistleblower, the government whistleblower, that has been talking about things, uh, this Grush character. He's been talking about alien origin technology, non-human origins. He's also talking about the uh, the death of human beings at the hands of aliens, which first thing I thought was deep underground military base shootouts, Philip Schneider, all that stuff. When you see all of these headlines coming out recently, um, where do you go? Uh, where does your mind go? And 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 what do you what what are you judging? Uh, well, you know, it's the week of contact in the desert. It's the week of you know UFO awareness, and there are a lot of conferences this week. And uh, I think some of these things were planned months in advance, but it seemed to all coordinate right now. We got uh, Roswell coming up in July, so there's a lot of awareness about this, and it seems like the right time for some of these guys to come out and grush. You know, I understand what he's saying, but I also realize that a lot of it's hearsay. He didn't originate some of this stuff. He's just the one coming out and saying it. Uh, and I like the classification somebody said recently. If it's if the UFO is kind of aerodynamic, you know, it has flight surfaces, it looks like an aero, or it's looks like it would slide through the air, it's probably one of ours. If it's kind of looks like a cigar or a big disc or a big cube or something like that, it's probably from off-world. <clears throat> so I think that makes logical sense to divide up uh, UFOs into that category. And I, I've traveled a lot. I don't know what you've done, uh, but I've traveled a lot, and I've asked people all over the world, do you believe in UFOs? And I would say 80% of the room raises their hand, yes. So there already is global awareness that they're real, but there's also a global awareness that they're as present as they want to be. And if they wanted to be more present, there's probably not anything anyone could do about it. Yes. The question is, and it comes down to this, and I think that's was that was uh, uh, Dr. Greer's uh, conference he had this weekend in D.C. I think this is what it came down to: Are they ours? Are they Earth? Are they are they human in origin? Our technology, even reverse engineered, or is it alien or off-world technology? And that's the big question. And if it's alien or off-world technology, and it's in a warehouse somewhere, that's what people are demanding. People are saying basically open the damn warehouse we're ready open the warehouse and let us see okay well let me ask you then um because you you are a guy who is very accomplished uh scientifically engineer master of so many things very very well published um 
but you also really have an open mind and a wild imagination, and, and it, it has allowed you to go on really amazing adventures that I think other people might have stayed away from to be able to avoid being called a kook or avoid being, you know, just going on, you know, wild goose chases. And it, people would be really apprehensive to do some of the things that you've done, which I actually think is so needed and, and, and inspiring. But, you know, in, in with your approach to asking questions and going in uh, slightly more controversial directions, have you ever had any kind of confirmation of your own that there is absolutely, well, obviously there's always secret government projects, there's always secret government technology, most of the stuff in the sky that we see that we cannot name is probably made by the hands of man i mean you uh, we always say it, ufo is not really a it's become synonymous with aliens but it's not but have you ever seen any confirmation or talk to somebody i mean or, or as a somebody uh, somebody who was a first-hand source about yes i've seen the bodies i've seen the thing i've seen the whatever have you ever had anything like that oh yeah i i've got a lot of you know first-hand witness testimony and as compelling as it is, it's uncorroborated. Uh, and you say, you know, I have a way of doing this. Actually, it's the scientific method. Uh, we form a hypothesis, and then we conduct experiments to, to generate data to prove or disprove that hypothesis. And in doing that, typically, we do like binary decisions or binary questions. It means uh, kind of a Boolean logic in the sense that it's this or that. And as we divert through our question asking process, we get to the truth. And one of those questions are, let's just, let's just assume that uh, UFOs are real. So then let's ask a question. Are they ours or are they theirs? Well, it kind of gets scattered from there, but you brought up a very good point. Is the government hiding something? Is the, does the government have this technology? So the binary question to ask here, not many people ask this, are we working with the ETs or are the ETs working with us? Hmm. You see, there's a two completely different uh, implications here. If we're working with them, then we've obviously made some kind of deal so that we can access technology. And some people think that deal is we give them access to people that don't really matter you can take them do whatever experiments you want with them we don't care we're not we're looking the other way but if the ets are working with us you see that's quite something different that means that they're not working with people like you and me they're not working with people at conferences believers uh truth seekers explorers they're working with governments so you have to ask the question why because governments have the power governments will do what they're told to do by higher civilizations and that brings us to you know it's kind of a good versus evil thing and that should chill everybody oh uh, yeah first contact yeah because I, as i said in the opening uh, when i consider things like that um you know there's a lot of people just don't obviously the timing of this stuff really turns a lot of people off 
the the media reporting is something that makes people think it's all bullshit just to begin with but when you go beyond what is now a media trend of pushing this and setting us up for something that they used to mock um we we had all these questions in the past too what do we actually have to trade if these advanced civilizations wherever they're coming from if they're coming from within or without if they're coming from a, a chasm in the earth another dimension or from outside of our atmosphere from somewhere deep in the solar system or whatever the hell it is if they're coming here they don't need to trade with us to take a couple of cows they can just take them yeah you you bring up a very good question because what if the answer to all those questions is yes what's in it for them why travel through multiple dimensions to get here on the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy? Why travel for hundreds of years across the open chasm of space to get to this little blue planet near main sequence sun and the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy? What's in it for them? That's the question we need to be asking. Well, let's go and listen to something else here. Now, here's Antarctica. We have a, um, we have a whistleblower who I, uh, I have some personal... Uh, contact with he's been on the show back in 2021 and i want to listen to this with you it's about four minutes and a half we'll stop along the way because he's referencing things that i i would love for you to to uh to speak on a little bit his name is eric hecker i'm going to put you on screen with me and away we go i'm very happy that you're giving me this attention and this information attention because it needs to get out to the world i will start uh since we have to be brief i have already given all pertinent information and supporting documentation to the senate intelligence committee and arrow they informed me that all of my information will be recorded for public record and shared with congress it is that important in 2010, I was selected to go down to the South Pole Station in Antarctica for an entire year by Raytheon Polar Services as an employee of a third-party contractor for the National Science Foundation. I function in a dual-role capacity as a tradesman and a firefighter. My responsibilities required me to be more informed than most of my crew and offered me complete access to the facilities. What I learned from this unique experience needs to be shared with the entire world. The technology at the South Pole Station certainly can do what it is presented as its primary purposes, and unfortunately, much more. The IceCube neutrino detector is presented as a passive listening device for the purposes of the science as presented. But I'm going to skip right through the chase, folks. Uh, I have provided documentation that proves that the 5,160, what they call DOMs, that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at 2,047 volts each. Okay, now the, let's stop there for a second, uh, uh, Brooks. First of all, ice cube neutrino detector. Uh, what are they? What are they trying to listen in for? What are they trying to detect? It, it obviously he said it's it's set up to do a lot of bit uh, of signal retrieval, but it's being he said it's being used to actually send signals out. So if it was just being used for what it was uh, its stated purpose, what was it being used for? Well, this lab is very unique on the Earth. Neutrinos are very, very small and very, very fast. Uh, put it put it to you this way. A neutrino could pass through about a light year of Earth without hitting anything. That's how small they are. And so what they did is they built the ice cube on the South Pole because that's the uh, magnetic... Uh, flux input to the earth and it's where the atmosphere is the thinnest and uh, they built this huge facility with a giant cube of lead in it lead as you know is is very dense 
little less dense than gold, but a lot cheaper. Um, and what happens is the neutrinos come in and they slow down in the lead and we're able to measure them. So that is basically what this lab does, is measure the neutrinos that collide with Earth. Normally, we would never see them except for this lab. I don't really know that it has that powerful of broadcast abilities, but if it does, it's going to go straight out into space. It's not going to like broadcast around the Earth. This is a very isolated place. Um, and I, I know of Hecker pretty well. I've, I went to his website and I, after he did this recent appearance in DC at Dr. Greer's event, and I looked up some of the documents he had on his website. And in one of these, he mentions uh, US section or uh, US 5, section 552B5, uh, section subsection six. So I thought, okay, that's good. You know, when he when they list laws like that, statutes like that, I ought to be able to go look it up. What he says it is is a a section that uh, prevents the government from disclosing anything uh, sensitive with respect to this technology to the general public. So I looked it up. I looked up what the section was. Uh, Paragraph five says interagency or intraagency memorandums or letters that would not be available by law to a party other than an agency in litigation with the agency, provided that the deliberate process privilege shall not apply to records created 25 years or more before the date on which the records were requested. Now, that sounds like a lot of legal gobbledygook, but U.S. 5, Section 552 is the Freedom of Information Act. That's what it is. It's the public's ability to get at this information. And these two paragraphs uh, create uh, exceptions. Uh, Paragraph six says personnel and medical files and similar files, the disclosure of which would constitute a clearly unwarranted invasion of personal privacy. It doesn't say anything about UFOs, doesn't say anything about top secret you know, alien technology or any kind of technology that would be, you know, against uh, uh, national defense. This has to do with personal records. In other words, I can't go and and sue uh, the FDA for your medical records because they're personal medical files. Okay. All right. Un- understood. Understood. And I, you know, there's there's more on. There's a lot of things that night when he came on that I was. I, I wish I had a little bit, some better questions to ask, but we had a lot of things that were put on the record that actually make it as a, a really good reference point to what's being, putting, putting, uh, being put out there now. Um, but everything that he showed was either a pencil drawing or an animation. The only picture he had is the publicly available one of the outside of the facility during the summer at the South Pole. Well, um, there's another thing I want to ask you about this, because when he's what he's getting down to here is that this ice cube neutrino detector that was supposed to receive, but is also broadcasting. Um, he says it's a harp array and 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 coming down, you know, we'll just listen to it for a second. And I'll bring up some more things and I have more questions for you. But listen to this thousand one hundred and sixty what they call doms that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at two thousand and forty seven volts each. OK, what are doms? Uh, well, I don't know. He he says D O M S, and I don't know what that stands for. But the the array that's HARP is a phased array, and they have isolated sections of this to be used as an earthquake weapon. 
uh, they can even mount it on a ship. And what it does, it searches for the resonant frequency of the ground where they want to apply it, and then it applies energy in that resonant frequency. And in a period of about eight or nine hours, it can develop a standing wave such that it will trigger an earthquake if there is a propensity for an earthquake in the area. Hmm. You can't just make an earthquake in an area that doesn't have a fault ready to have one, but you can trigger one. And there's a telltale ultraviolet hue that occurs in the atmosphere above where these where this thing is targeted and it, it has been well documented well you and i the last time you were on uh it was a it was a really a, a groundbreaking one we did a lot of talk about what was going on with the earthquakes in uh, in turkey and we did right. big ones there uh the rainbow cloud that uh that that's that strange lewd looking cloud and um so yeah there's there's a lot there but this is what he's getting to he's getting to directed energy weapons let's listen a little bit more that gives us a long list of things to consider it is effectively a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform that i will uh, list rapidly a few things that it can do vehicle detection we're learning that these off-world craft on-world craft ours or other nations are also emitting neutrinos. So this makes the South Pole Station effectively an air traffic control station for this new level of equipment that nobody's discussing. In addition to the ability to detect neutrinos and the exotic vehicles, I provide a documentation that shows that this is also a system for faster than light communications. In the past, Gary McKinnon has hacked NASA found the off-world fleet, the list of captains, and it's apparent that if we have faster-than-light vehicles moving throughout the system, we're going to need faster-than-light communications. Now, i got to say there, I don't know where his... I, I, I wish that he had... Maybe there's another place that he's talking about uh, his confirmation that we have all these off-world vehicles that are coming in and out of our, our atmosphere because that was one of the direct questions I asked him when he was on the show, and the, the quote he gave me was that he thought he saw a UFO once. And uh, so obviously it wouldn't be firsthand information on his end to know that we had this like this, uh, this super highway of, of galactic traffic that's coming in and out and we need to detect these things. He had to get it from somewhere. I, w I wish we got a little bit more of where that somewhere was. But um, I also asked him about this harp thing. He's talking about detection, but he was also talking about earthquake weapons and stuff like that. And I said, well, you know, if, in such an isolated part of the, of, the, of the world, how would you be able to trigger earthquakes from anywhere else from, from uh, Antarctica? And, uh, and, and I think his fallback answer was that you'd have to look into some of the concepts that Tesla was talking about. And it didn't really go that far from there. So, um, so, but you, what you're saying right here is that from a remote location like Antarctica, you would not be able to target any place on the Earth. It would be pretty hard because the way HARP works, it, it heats up the ionosphere and pushes it out into space and kind of forms a radio parabolic mirror. And then on the carrier frequency, they bounce ELF waves, which are extremely low frequency waves. And this is what they kind of probe the ground with. It's called earth tomography. Now, you are kind of limited as to how far you can bounce that signal. It's about halfway around the globe, and that's about it. It loses a lot of power after that. It was originally designed uh, by Bernard Eastland to communicate with submarines, but they found it was very good for scanning the earth and you could put receivers, mobile receivers on the ground while the harp is running and you can locate oil and gas 
deposits to the ground. That's all the, how all the big uh, deposits were found up in North Dakota and all that. They were all found with harp. And there are 27 active harps around the world, and they're all built near petroliferous zones, and they use them for exploration. Uh, that being said, there are side effects in heating up the ionosphere, which can also steer the weather and other kinds of things. There are side effects that maybe could be used on purpose, I don't know. But these ELF waves can be tuned to resonate with the ground, and they can and have, I've done it myself, triggered an earthquake while turning my system on. I know you know this, I've, I've demonstrated it live with a live setup, a miniature setup on History Channel, True TV, and Science Channel. Oh, you were talking about that the last time, last time you were on, um, how it, it was actually an accident, right? Yeah, it was an accident. I was in Roseburg, Oregon, and uh, we were exploring for a gas well for a local fescue farmer. He wanted a local, his own source of gas to power his own operation. So we, he had a vast uh, amount of land. So we were scanning his land with our Earth uh, tomography system. We call it ground probing radar at the time. That's not really what it is. But uh, anyway, we turned our transmitter on. It was about uh, 3,000 feet away from our receiver, which was set up in a camper. And when we turned that, uh, that transmitter on, about two seconds later, an earthquake occurred. And it rippled across, uh, you know, the grass to me, and I made a note of it in my lab notebook. And when I published that, I think this happened in '83, and I published it in '93, and that's what caused uh, Congressman Gene Manning to contact me and ask me to be part of the Holes in Heaven documentary, which was the first documentary that came out about Harp in '97, which was by far the world's biggest bestseller on Harp ever. So let me ask you one more follow-up question on that, because we did, it was Holes in Heaven, right? Holes in Heaven. We played that, I remember we, we went and we found a copy of it on the internet, and we, we played it on the network afterwards. We I did had it. hair, I had hair back then. It's an, Well, listen, we all had hair, you go you go <laughs> far back enough, we all had hair, you know? But, you know, I we watched it together, and it's just, it's incredible. But my question to you is, um, how a how far was the the earthquake you accidentally triggered felt, and b why was it so instantaneous if it takes eight hours to trigger elsewhere? Good question. It could have been that the earthquake was just ready to go. I mean, this is a very tectonically active area, Oregon, and it it uh, probably was felt a couple of miles away. It was about a three point five. Okay. Uh, definitely, we could feel it local. I don't know how far away people could feel it. Usually, it takes about four, four point five before it rattles your china in the cabinet. But we felt that we were out there on the ground. So they have perfected that technology, and they've been able to mount it on naval vessels like the USS Nimitz. And when they pull into uh, to a harbor, you know, you better be you better be ready because this weapon's going to be deployed. Yeah. Well, you know, they better watch out there in Turkey because uh, Erdogan is still uh, remaining defiant about Sweden being let into NATO, and um, they, they, they. But I, I'm. Anyway, we had that conversation before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Here, let's let's listen to a little bit more because there's only two minutes left of this. This okay. is that facility. Unfortunately, I have other bad news. The season that I was there, 2010 to 2011, we converted from uh, construction to operations and maintenance in both the elevated station and the detector array. Unfortunately, when they first fired it up, 
That was when we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand. There was two incidental shots before they were able to target it correctly. This is an earthquake-generating device as well. Okay, so right there, you're talking about range. From where he's talking about in Antarctica, would New Zealand have been in range? Yeah, that would have been within range, no doubt. Okay, all right, so let's keep going. This is the weapons of war that we have to deal with now and what Raytheon's hiding. There's an ELF system at the South Pole Station that when I was arrived, I was told it was off, dismantled, and completely defunct. In my work, I will rapidly just tell you, I had to figure out the circuitry for certain other repairs, and I found that this system is, in fact, completely energized, up and running, and being utilized with the other systems for nefarious purposes as well. The Atmospheric Research Observatory is uh, in what we call the clean air sector. I witnessed myself a very powerful green laser shooting out of the top of this facility into the cosmos. This, I believe, is a secondary form of long-range communications and or a defense system. I am not saying that we need to be scared of anything that's out there, but please understand the military-industrial complex is happy to invest all of your money in alleviating their fears. When you came on last to uh, Brooks, we were talking, I believe we brought up the the kind of, I don't know, the it was more than one laser beam, but it was just kind of washed over the islands in Hawaii. You remember that? Right. Uh, Those were green as well. Green as well. And they, I mean, argon lasers and, and that wavelength can be used for targeting. They don't typically use it to transmit information. They use red lasers for that. Uh, it's it's just a matter of what we call polarization. You try to line up all the waves so that all the waves are parallel to one another. That's one of the beauties of laser. Uh, green is hard to do. It's in the wrong uh, bandwidth. It's a little shorter than the red and more difficult to control. It splatters a lot uh, more as it goes further and further. So it's not so good for transmitting information, but it is good for targeting. Well, you got your, your ELF reference in there as well. I remember when uh, Hecker was on our show, as far as his information, his, his data collection goes, he didn't really go into how he became really um, aware of all this stuff to great detail. In fact, yeah. I believe he told us that he was just, he had a habit of barging into computer rooms to catch people off guard, and most times it was the fastest that he's ever seen people click things away so that nobody would see what was on the screen. I mean, it could have been porn. but uh, I, I think I think that would have got you shipped home the, the second time you did it in a facility like that. Uh, I mean, I've been around all the uh, LIGOs, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatories in this country. I haven't been to the one in Italy. Y- you can be invited if you're not the general public, if you're like me and you kind of know the what, what it does and some of the jargon and you can communicate with the guys, you can get a tour, kind of a personal tour, but they are not going to let you loose <laughs> to walk into computer rooms. That ain't going to happen. Yeah, um, I especially since he said that his main function was plumbing. I know he said uh, fire, uh, firefighting as well, but he was going out there to do plumbing work and but perhaps it, it expanded while while he was out there, and, and maybe it's all hands on deck when you're so isolated and everybody just has to help each other out. And I'm sure that there's NDAs and, and everybody's kind of, uh, you know, obeying some kind of a strict code of honor. But still, uh, there's a little bit left, about a minute. Here, let's go. 
a question of power comes into play for all of these facilities that are present. I assure you, I knew what was going on. I knew the load demands of the facility, and all of these new items exceed the demand for the systems that I was presented. I am doing due diligence and research. I believe there is either a secondary power supply there that is either nuclear that uh, was there prior to the start of the Antarctic Treaty, which prohibits such things, and or that there is some sort of exotic uh, power supply system there that just is not in the verbiage of the treaty, so it negates the responsibility to the parties involved. Yeah, the treaty is interesting. There are 99 countries involved in the treaty, and every year, kind of the purview of it, you know, changes to another country to kind of spread it around so that it stays, I don't know, I guess de-weaponized or demilitarized. But I, I believe there are probably thorium package reactors on that facility hmm. uh, that can generate uh, electricity. They're, they are nuclear, but but they're not nuclear. I mean, thorium is uh, way down the nuclide chart from anything that could cause any problems. They have a long, long half-life, and they can make energy for a long, long time. But they're not super powerful. Uh, they don't... Uh, <clears throat> They don't need the shielding that, uh, that say, plutonium does or uranium does. And there isn't the danger of criticality or supercriticality like there is with those nuclides. So it is possible. And it is possible that they were there before the treaty. So I don't really know. But if he's saying that the power output of the facility exceeds the power generation of that facility... I'd be very surprised if that's the case. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I, I tell you, Brooks, when I'm listening to all this stuff and reading the things that are coming out in such with blinding speed right now, it, it can't just all be because contact in the desert is coming up. Um, it, or it just can't, it's gotta be something else. Um, how much of this do you think is, <laughs> it, I don't know how, how much do you think this is just, just more limited hangout, preparation for some other kind of i don't know left uh, left hand turn curveball that they're going about, about to throw us or is it really just at some point i think we all believed that understanding our place in the universe uh, as a in, in a low in a local sense was always going to be part of our taking the next uh, leaps as a human civilization but now that we just have no trust in media, no trust in government. It's like and we did. We did develop that distrust overnight. I know. I know. I know. We learned this over time, over a long, long period, decades of deception and conspiracy theories coming true. I mean, the balance sheet is way in our favor. Way in our favor. So when stuff like this begins to be disclosed by our government, we get very suspicious. We are suspicious explorers. Yes. Yes. Well, I always uh, I always say if this was 1997 and this news was coming out, there would be nothing else. There would be nothing else. This would have trumped the OJ uh, trial in, 90, in 95 or whenever that was. This would have trumped that. Every, the world would have stopped spinning, and this is what we would have been talking about if it was 1997, but we are a, uh, a little bit more jaded. We are a little bit more uh, browbeaten, and that's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, I, mean, the thing, I want to inject this before we run out of time. What hurts truth is when people come out with half-truths. 
when people come out like this, and, and Dr. Greer is kind of famous for this. He did this uh, with the original press club meeting, and then we went a, over a decade without anything. And here we have another press meeting, and all these people are coming out with firsthand accounts, no photos, no videos, no hard evidence whatsoever, drawings and animations and personal testimony from retired people. It's the same act. It's this. It's Greer Act Two. I've been there. I, I I followed the guy for years and years and years. It's the same show, and you have to wonder why now? Why now? Yeah, I think everybody's wondering that. Uh, Brooks, I really appreciate you coming on for this short show tonight. I wish that we can. I can't wait. You, uh, we'll have to figure out a couple other things because when I think about, especially Antarctica. You are the first guy I think about, especially with all of our latest conversations about your wanting to go into the opening, perhaps, to see what is going on in the inside of the Earth. Uh, when well, I, if we're going to explore for it in the Arctic. The Antarctic member of our team is Brad Olson. So if we kind of pulled the two poles together. He's been to the Antarctic, and we're planning to go to the Arctic, and he's going to come with us. If you, you should do it at the same time from either end so that you can meet in the center of the Earth. <laughs> There's a plan. No, that, that is. But when I think about this, not not just the Eric Hecker stuff, but with the, the Grush guy talking about these, um, these deadly encounters with aliens, and I think about someone like Phil Schneider who was not only talking about aliens, but he was talking about something that I think more and more people give credence to, is that the fact that there is probably a civilization built beneath our feet a couple of miles below. And when you think uh, about the, the, can you consider those who have come forward and said that there are pretty much underground cities, that Denver, underneath the, the airport over there, it was a big uh, chasm, was hollowed out, to build a what was would amount to two city blocks underneath that airport, and then they said, "Oh no, no, they 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 uh, they built it wrong and they scuttled the whole project." They they, they literally said that they they uh, they took the the instructions and they made it like backwards or something, and they just abandoned the whole project. I think about someone like you who has really put some time into researching what could be hidden under the surface and well, i've been there i've been to to denver airport and i went with the staff way down to level five below the airport and we filmed the whole thing and put it on uh on uh, fox nation uh, it was very good in fact it for a long time was the number one episode they had on fox nation so it's called uh, In Plain Sight with plain spelt P-L-A-N-E if you want to watch that documentary. We have all the videos from it. What did you see? Did you see the, the city blocks that they said that they built? <laughs> no, we, we went on the government tour. And oh. We reached the end of the line, and there's a concrete wall there, and there's a door in the wall, and they said it doesn't lead anywhere. <laughs> I, didn't see, I didn't see a lot of traffic or even a— It was a broom know, closet. <laughs> Something. Uh, there's a lot of action going on down there, I will tell you, a lot. There's a lot of traffic. So uh, it was the whole luggage handling system was a complete boondoggle. I think looking at the quality of that luggage handling system, that that budget that was overspent was scuttled to pay for something completely different down mm. there. How extensive do you think do you think the network of 
highway tunnels and actual city blocks and, and a functional breakaway society really lives below our feet. How, how extensive do you think that is, aside from military bases, fallback locations, but an actual functioning civilization that ties together the entire, you, 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 that you could literally drive, I hear this, that you can drive underground from California to New York if you wanted to? I have my doubts. And the reason is because of the material that would have to be moved out of there. Okay. Yes, you could shoot it with a laser. You could melt it with chemicals. But there's something left you have to haul away with dump trucks. And we're just not seeing it. We're just not seeing it. Well, I appreciate you. Oh, you know you know why I appreciate you, Brooks? And I think it comes, it comes off in, in uh, the way that we, we address these, these topics here. Again, like in the beginning, you are willing to dance the dance with the mysterious, I know that you're interested in it, but at the same time, you do not let your very um, your very boy-like sense of wonder take you away from the scientific method. Show me oh, the I evidence. Know. I love There's it. A little boy in me that wants all this to be true, but the scientist in me says, "No, no, 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 no. you got to follow the rules." That's it. You bring it to me, and we follow the rules, and we release it to the world. Everyone will believe. Well, next time you're on, one of the things we need to discuss is the moon landing, because I think you made a, I don't know, there's a couple people that wrote into the show a little bit perturbed that you believe that we went to the moon in 1969, and we have to talk about that or any other time that we arrived there or did not or whatever the hell it was, because there are so, I mean, that is one situation where you can get lost in all the different theories and angles, Um, so... We have to talk about that next. I think that would be a wonderful one. Absolutely. All righty. Brooks Agnew. Brooksagnew.blog. All of his information is in the description of the episode tonight. Can't wait to have you back, buddy. Can't wait to come back. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. A little bit on that. So some things make sense. Other things, we just got the the jury is out. Got to see a little bit more. And I I would really encourage you to go and listen to that episode of quite frankly from may of 2021 i tweeted it out before if you go to twitter and just jump in on the official the official twitter of the show at political orgy i know it's not very official but it's my twitter and that's just what i'm stuck with at this point go and check it out and uh and let me know what you think let me know what you think especially since we've we've already laid the groundwork for this you see Quite frankly, serious disclosure. What's the point? It was good enough for Stephen Greer, though. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. 
entering, quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly. In Roma, Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Never ends. All right. So let's jump. Let's jump into the super chats and then we'll take a call or two. And then we have to go and do our badass of the evening and fare thee well because we've got book club. I've got book club with the book club members at 8.30. Tomorrow we'll have a full two hours to end the show for the week. I believe Matt will be in and that's going to be a good one because it's going to be based mostly on things that have come in from the audience over what has been a really fascinating week of topics and great feedback and response. I, I really loved it this week. StoSoup says, hi, Frank. What's going on, StoSoup? That's on quitefranklysuperchat.com. Uh, Katie Skye says, I appreciate what you and John said yesterday about women women having to step up and be strong right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I it, it like I said, when you have a civilization that has had the the spirit beaten out of young boys for a couple about two full generations now and continue to demean men and masculinity and all that stuff it's going to create a it's going to create a void it's going to create a vacuum and people like women are going to fill it some of them are going to be you know slip into a role that actually ends up being like a lifeboat a lifeboat holding down the fort the rosie the new rosie the riveters but we've got to get back to normal order here got to get back to normal order because the cringe is strong and it has actually it is actually uh, set forth a a kind of right-wing feminism that also needs to be uh dealt with as well let's see over on rumble rumble everybody's having a good time Glad to see it on quitefrankly.tv. Let's go into the foxhole and see what people are doing. Doug Simi, thank you. Sean Joe, thank you. Paulie9363 says, ask him if he, uh, if, if GE is a clown, Frank. Who's GE? Stostube, thank you so much. A lot of cookies over there. Axopax says, disclosure feels like a carrot on the stick. Never going to reach it, but it's right there and I want it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and that's not even really has anything to do specifically with off-world intelligence on whatever the hell it is. It's just what we don't know might as well be the revelation of a completely alien civilization. Like imagine what we are doing over here, and it's the allegory in the cave. 
you got to keep going back to the allegory of the, of the cave. It might as well be that we are living inside of an alien world that we, we just can't see at the moment because just so trained on institutions and regiment and tradition and the norms and, you know, who's setting the tradition? What's the culture really all about? Um, that's the kind of disclosure I love. I would love to know the real truth. You don't even have to go metaphysical with it, but I'm sure it goes there. All right, thank you, Stostube, all over the place with the cookies. Damn, drowning me out. Says, great Thursday, Frank and Franklies, always. Keith says, loving the objective and critical look you and Agnew bring to discussing UAPs. Well, I couldn't have done it without Brooks. I've just got the questions. I've got the questions and I've got the boy-like wonder. But sometimes I don't have the control. I want it to be real because I just want to have a I want to have a damn good time. I want to go to the fireworks show, but um, I know that there is plenty to be excited about. Plenty to be excited about, and it's better to weed out all the nonsense and at least look critical on things so that when the real fireworks do occur, it's uh, it feels so much better. The problem is that so many people are chasing waterfalls out there, like TLC warned us not to do. You go and chasing waterfalls. And um, and at the you, you get disappointed so many times, you get your head beaten up against a rock so many times that then all of a sudden you don't believe anything. You just got to be chill about it. You just got to be chill. Don't drink from the water, the water hose or the, uh, the waterfall, the fire hose. That's the whole thing there. Keep your wits about you and your childlike wonder. All right. There's a lot more that was put out what else did phil schneider say here's a few a few things that phil schneider was telling people in all of his his public addresses prior to his death the american government entered into agreement with gray aliens in 1954 we heard about this many times the mutually beneficial cooperation agreement is called the griada treaty and aliens do not comply with it the shuttle made the shuttle made special alloys in orbit. A vacuum is needed to create these special metals and thus the mandate for the ongoing support of manned space station is justified. Most of the aircraft technology with stealth technology was developed due to the study of an alien ship that crashed in the United States. That's what he said. He said that AIDS was invented at National Ordnance Laboratory in Chicago, Illinois and developed as a virus to control the human population. I don't know how much I believe about that. It's a secret that the U.S. government has a device for causing earthquakes. The San Francisco earthquake in 1989 and the Kobe earthquake in 1995 did not have a pulse wave, which confirmed their artificial origin. I should have asked Brooks that while he was still on. Let's see here. He also, let's see, the Bikini Atoll was destroyed by nuclear weapons due to the fact that there was an underwater base of aliens. And a large number of underground military bases have been built in the United States up to two kilometers deep, and they are similar in size to cities. Bases were built in case of a declaration of war. A declaration of war between which two opposing forces? Is it the... the I mean, I know there's a lot of people right now who would like to just... Um, I know there's a lot of split factions of humans right now so that'll be interesting. There's, there's tons out there. 
keep you up all night. Have a good time with that. All right. A little bit more. A little bit more. 914. Do I have time? I don't have time for calls. It's already 820. So what I do have time for right now is our damned fine badass of the evening. Who's the badass for June 15th, 2023 on Badass Month? That's some badass shit. Yes. It's pretty badass. It is pretty badass. You know who it is? It's Annie Oakley. That's right, ladies. We got a little something for you tonight. Tonight's badass is Annie Oakley, one of the most famous sharpshooters in American history. Oakley was born Phoebe Ann Moses in 1860 in rural Ohio and helped support her family by shooting game in the nearby woods and selling it to a local shopkeeper. Her marksmanship paid off the mortgage on her mother's house and led her to enter a shooting match with touring champion Frank Butler on Thanksgiving Day, 1875. To Butler's astonishment, the 15-year-old beat him in the competition. Butler fell in love with her, and they were married the next year. For the next few years, Frank toured with a male partner, performing feats of marksmanship on stage. But when his partner fell ill in 1882, Annie replaced him and won instant accolades for her shooting skills. Frank soon began managing the act, leaving the spotlight to Annie. How nice of him. Around this time, Annie adopted the professional name Oakley, apparently from the town of Oakley, Ohio. She then joined the vaudeville circuit, making her own conservative costumes and distinguishing herself from the more risque look of the other performers. At one event in Minnesota in 1884, Oakley attracted the attention of legendary Native American warrior Sitting Bull, who adopted her name, uh, 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 who adopted her and named her Watanya Cecilia, or Little Sure Shot. The nickname stayed with Oakley as she rose in the, in the show business ranks. Oakley joined Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West in 1885 and performed in the show for most of the next 17 years. She dazzled audiences with her shotgun abilities, splitting cards on their edges, snuffing candles, and shooting the corks off of bottles. While maintaining her modest wardrobe, she also knew how to please a crowd, blowing kisses and pouting theatrically whenever she intentionally missed a shot. Oakley's career took off when she performed with Buffalo Bill Cody's show at the American Exposition in London in 1887. Oakley met Queen Victoria, who called her a, quote, very clever little girl. She then set out on a triumphal three-year tour of Europe that began with an 1889 Paris Exposition. By the time it ended, Oakley was America's first female superstar. Annie and Frank were in the train, uh, a train accident in 1901, and shortly thereafter, she left Cody's show for good. Hopes for a quieter life were dashed in 1903 when William Randolph Hearst published a false article claiming that she was in jail for stealing a support. You see, see, there's the yellow journalism right there. There's Hearst and Pulitzer, yellow journalism that launched the, the Spanish-American War around the same time. Hopes for a quieter life were dashed in 1903 when William Randolph uh, uh, Rachel Maddow Hearst published a false article claiming that she was in jail for stealing to support a cocaine habit. Oakley, whose highest ambition was to be considered a lady, was mortified and she ended up filing against the newspapers that had libeled her, winning, winning or settling 54 of them. 
That took up the bulk uh, bulk of her efforts until 1910, when she subsequently joined another Wild West show, performing until 1913. Annie Oakley died November 3rd, 1926. Frank Butler, whom she had been married to for 50 years, died 18 years later. Now, there's something else I wanted to tell you because I knew that she, she was with um, with uh, Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West. But I also knew that Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West, if anybody who's going to be joining us for the book club in August when we read Devil in the White City, I knew that there was a link between Buffalo Bill's Wild West and Chicago 1893. He was not allowed in, but he still went to Chicago, and Annie Oakley was there. So I went and I dug up an article, a very brief one. It's a blog. Take a look at this. World Fair Wednesday. This is from uh, TimidFutures.com. World Fair Wednesday, Buffalo Bills Wild West Show, Chicago, 1893. Still at the Columbian World Exposition in 1893 this week. This is from a a blog post in March of 2013. Taking a look at a manly man and his manly actions, William F. Cody, Buffalo Bill, petitioned to bring his Wild West show to the expo but was shut down by the organizers. While a less manly man may have quietly disappeared, Cody went to Chicago anyway and set up his show right outside of the fairgrounds. And it was a hit, and he didn't have to share a dime with the organizers. Here's a, uh, a poster. Buffalo Bill's Wild West. There you go. 1893 in Chicago. And here is Annie Oakley sitting in front of her tent at the show in 1893 reading a book. Isn't that something? There she is in Chicago doing her thing, rifle next to her, 1893, couldn't be allowed in, was not allowed in, but still was able to make a fuss out there in Chicago and have a good time. That's all I have for you tonight. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you. A little bit of a short engagement, but we'll be back to full strength tomorrow night. And I really hope that many of you will go over to quitefrankly.tv. And um, I think it's Throwback Thursday tonight. I'll probably still start around 9 o'clock, that area, but perhaps a little bit sooner. And while you're there, go to the Sponsor Us section. And if you enjoy episodes like this, that you can, you can set your timer to it every night. Around 6.55, I'll go live for the 7 o'clock show. And you'll know that Frank has put in at least 12 hours when you consider the preparation that starts the night before into every production. And I do it with great love and passion for the medium and for the interaction with the audience and what I think this kind of a program can do uh, for us going forward. It's a good exercise in humanity, if you ask me. And I would love for you to support it and its growth going forward. And all of the ways that you can do that are listed on the Sponsor Us tab on QuiteFrankly.tv. Some of those very same links are in the description below this episode. I hope to greet you all as sponsors over the next couple of days and into Father's Day weekend. Much love to you all. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. And always remember, that's... Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Palador Veros, who just said aliens will reveal to themselves when we are ready. Stostube. And KT Sky, thank you to my friends all around the country, all around the world, all my friends over there on Foxhole, and on Rockfin, and on Twitch, and on DLive, and on YouTube, and on Rumble, and Twitter, and my gosh, I'm just so happy to see you all, and I'll see you again tomorrow. Good night.
Think about it, though, Tom. Sudden weight loss. AIDS? Nobody's got AIDS. I don't want to hear that word here again. <laughs>